0: I want to know where you're going. Where you've been is kind of like whatever. Like what's your dream to want to create? And let's join forces to create that. So if you are scared of it, it's because you are stuck in hindsight. You are stuck in the past. And you're trying to replicate the past into tomorrow. And you're fear-driven and anxious and you're reactive. And your reptilian brain is functioning as your main decision-making process.
1: You are now tuned in to Meezy Muse Unplugged, a podcast for go-getters on their journey to greatness. Unlock the secrets to your success through insights, inspiration, and education. Get ready to level up with your host, author and consultant, Christy Lindor.
2: Hey, my go-getters. Welcome to the Missy Muse Unplugged podcast show. I'm your host, Christy Lindor, and you are listening to episode 11 of season two. We've dubbed The Science of Success. In today's show, we have a special conversation. One of my favorite go getters, I'm a true fan of John Sinai, and have a thought provoking discussion on a range of topics, mostly focusing on how you can predictively create your future. I'll introduce him in just a moment. I'm actually glad to be back go-getters I had to take a couple weeks off I was off the grid for some time as I mentioned in my last episode I just had my first child his name is Rowan and what's interesting is that I've been a bonus mom for many years but being a biological mom has really created a seismic shift in my worldview in my life and actually to be honest I'm still really processing this what I call this new normal and I know I mentioned in the last episode that I was going to share more about my journey into motherhood but I think as I've thought about it while I've taken a couple weeks off I'm actually going to create a a special season finale episode and I'll go go into more in depth in it and it's actually quite timing Um, it's very timely given that This season, Science of Success is all about, you know, how we define success, how do we use it, um, how do we train for it. You know, we talked about, we kind of unpacked success in a lot of different ways, but having my son last month made me realize that I'm actually personally going to have to redefine what success Looks like for me moving forward, it's been pretty transformational, uh, and I'm really excited about the journey that I'm going to be going on uh, with him and my family, and just really me as a person. So it's really kind of a transformation in real time, um, and I look forward to reflecting with you all on that in my last episode. So back to this episode, like I mentioned, there's two more, two more episodes left in the season. So today, you know, we're going to talk to John Sine. Actually, just to give you a quick preview, episode 12, uh, we talked to him, Amanda Hennessy. Uh, she's a public speaking coach and we talk about a number of different things. We actually talk about this looks impact success. So we're gonna uh, wrap up our conversation on success with her. And then as I mentioned in the season finale, I will go more into my journey into motherhood. Back to John though. So I wanna do a quick bio. John, he is an entrepreneur, innovation strategist best-selling author and a global speaker he actually spends a lot of his time talking about the future so I also I'll throw in there futurist and I think I've seen him mention that word several different times I think what's interesting go-getters is that he has created this intersection of being able to talk about the future combining human psychology Studies and business strategies, and really does it in a very optimistic way. And I I love if you ever watch a video with him or read one of his books, I think you'll see that the messaging come out throughout, and even in his personality, honestly. And what's interesting is that I came across John through my network. And I've been following him for the past several years. Um, and I've actually really become a, a really big fan. So this was really exciting when I was able to land an interview with him. He's based in South Africa. He's actually now since moved to Dubai. And released his third book. It's called Foresight. So in today's interview, we talk to John about a little bit about his early life, some of the challenges he's faced. We talk about his new book and give you some strategies and and ideas to think about if you're really looking to creatively predict and create your optimal future. So it's a really cool discussion. I think you'll see, you know, at least in the United States. I think John is is one of those household name brands to look out for. So I think you'll really get a lot from this conversation and I look forward to talking to you furthermore about my journey into motherhood. So with that, let's get started.
1: You're listening to the Meesy Muse unplugged podcast. We'll be right back after the break. Several years ago, I was
2: passed over for a promotion at my job. Instead of wallowing in my circumstances, that evening I decided to redirect my energy using a forgiveness technique I had casually created over the years. What happened over the next 15 months was an absolute life-changing breakthrough. So I decided to put it to the test. I shared the technique with a couple of friends and they too began to see major shifts at work. That's when I decided to formalize my forgiveness model into a book. Hi, I'm Christy Lindor. I've discovered that forgiveness used as an applied strategic skill in the workplace can shift your career to the next level. You can explore this concept in my new book, Release. Use the power of forgiveness to get unstuck and thrive in your career. Order it now on Amazon or learn more at www.releasethebook.com. Welcome, John, yeah. to the Missing News Unplugged. How are you doing today?
0: I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: So... I know, John. You travel quite a bit, and you're you're living in two different countries. Where in the world are you currently sitting today?
0: Right now, I'm sitting in Cape Town. I uh, will be next week in Dubai, so I'm moving between those two bases depending on where I'm being booked and where I'm working.
2: Okay, nice, nice. I I've had the wonderful pleasure to visit Cape Town. I did a, a semester at the University of Stellenbosch. This was like, oh wow, yeah. This is about maybe te- this is a while ago. This is like. 12 years ago and i absolutely fell in love with the area it it reminds me of san francisco it's kind of like a it's like a exotic san (laughs) francisco-esque
0: well let let me tell you i find the two cities very very similar and i think that it might be the weather and i'll tell you why is both of them have got extremely cold oceans next to them And what that does, it creates this crispness in the air, this crispness gets you to rethink in a very specific way and very creatively. And if you think about San Francisco and Cape Town, they are both gay capitals, they are both very creative, they're both tech hubs, they both have incredible food, wine and restaurants, and so we're very similar to San Francisco in many ways
2: yeah no totally agree well again thank you for being on the show as I mentioned to you I'm a huge fan of your work and I know a lot of the go-getters that listen to my podcast are based in or here in the US and I know when you when I saw your book about foresight and and I've been following you for some years now I wanted to make sure I introduced my listeners to you and your work and bringing it so I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to connect today
0: My absolute pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. Always happy to share the research and thinking that I do because I find it so fascinating. And so the more people can hear it, the more fascinating I become with it.
2: (laughs) Well, let's get started. My, My first question for you, John, if your life was a book, what would you say is
0: the current chapter title and why? wow what a great question (laughs) i've never been asked that question um wow i think right now where i am is moving into my most powerful version of myself i have done the hero's journey whereby i've gone through the learnings and through the pain and i'm in a process of self-discovery and that self-discovery is becoming stronger and the momentum is building behind my brand so i would say i would I would be two thirds of the way through the book and I would be in the process of finding my power.
2: Mm, I like that, I like that. So so finding your power, it sounds like would be the
0: title. Okay, okay. Finding more of my power, more Mm. of my power, yes.
2: Okay, yeah. you've done such a great job in terms of, of branding. Um, I love your branding and go getters. We'll put all the links to John's website and his information out in the in the show notes. But tell us a little bit. I'm I'm very curious about you, John, from like your past, right? Because I when I see a lot of the things you have online, it seems to be maybe in the last ten years or so. So it looks like you've been building for quite some time. Maybe mm. share with us a life moment. You know, before you became John, the speaker, the you know, the, the best-selling author, share a life moment that's really shaped your journey today.
0: Yeah, great question again. Um, I have two very clear, distinct pivot points in my life where it's put me on the path to this sort of self-introspection and discovery. The first one was when I was 30 years old, I declared bankruptcy. I was... Um, from a single mom family and we didn't have much money. So I really, really worked hard from a very young age to develop a certain level of financial freedom for myself. And I was an entrepreneur, I still am an entrepreneur, but I was an entrepreneur and had many different businesses and I did extremely well. And I became wealthy, open inverted commas and closed them. And by the time I turned 30, I'd lost everything. I had to move out of my house. In South Africa, we sequestrate yourself, which means that you can't trade under your name for five years which is a devastating place for a boy to be. And I say boy, even though I was 30 years old, is because I had attached everything uh, about who I am and what I'm about to my businesses, my money, my cars and those sort of things. And when that got taken away from me, I started to realize that there was something wrong with the equation that I was following because when I was poor, I was unhappy because I didn't have the freedom when i had lots of money i was unhappy because i just wanted a bit more and now i was bankrupt sitting in my friend's second bedroom away from my big home in a great area in johannesburg called brianston and now i was unhappy again and so that was a pivot point where i started to really go deep and try and figure out what had happened why i was working so feverishly to make money and why it was never enough and that began the process and then That really got me to a point where understanding the psychology of our motivating factors as human beings, which becomes the most important thing we can really realize and figure out. And then the second pivot point was when I got divorced when I was 40 years old and my mom took my ex-wife's side during the divorce. I laugh at it now. It was incredibly devastating back then and um, I realized for the very first time at 40 years old that I'd been a boy for the first 40 years of my life. And having my mom not take my side like she always had, as most moms do with their boys, definitely in certain cultures like Middle Eastern cultures, Jewish cultures, Portuguese, Italian, the mothers over mother and what happens to the boys is they become mommy's boys and stay mommy's boys for most of their lives and we have many leaders right now around the world that are very much mommy's boys no names mentioned so really the fact that breaking out of that shell of being a mommy's boy and also the bankruptcy both of them have been pivotal points in the process of researching and becoming fascinated with my own psychology and then giving the Opportunity for myself to master the topics in as far as teaching them through my talks workshops and books
2: Okay, okay, and it's great to hear that you had that that setback But then you were able to kind of come back strong in that process. What what do you say was? Maybe something that inspired you know when I saw your your first book, um, you know, capture your moonshots. Like, what inspired you to start to create a brand around being a futurist and trend specialist? What moment really kind of made you realize that that's what you're good at, and that is what kind of excited you?
0: When I made the decision to follow what makes me most excited every moment of every day, I think, you know, we can all as human beings make decisions from different parts of our body. And let me explain, I write about this in one of my books, is we can make logical decisions, which is what education and our parents have always told us to do, go and study what makes logical choice, uh, what decision that can kind of pay for your kid's private school fees in the future. The second way you can make a decision is through ego or primal desires of more, of making decisions that aren't really good for you but what will make you look good in the public space and then the third way we make decisions is through curiosity and mm-hmm. curiosity has been drummed out of us through education and through corporations and if you think about back at school it was like oh so you're good at painting that's fine you can pick it up as a hobby we're all going to sit here and do algebra together mm-hmm. and don't worry about your curiosity and force okay. feed you what you should be learning And so we've been drummed curiosity out of our brains and out of our beings. And so when I got divorced and I was really depressed again, I call it my emotional bankruptcy. I had my financial bankruptcy, my emotional bankruptcy. And when I was sitting there really depressed, I just thought to myself, let me just follow what makes me most curious, not what sounds good, what feels good, what would look good. And so when I started following this, what shines brightest, what my bliss was and what my real excitement was, was telling stories. And I'm really good at it. And I've always been good at it. But I've never given it any respect or never really dived deep into it to really try and figure it out. And The more I started sharing these stories, the more the audiences around me, however small they were, always had a positive reaction. And slowly but surely those stories have become books and those books have become better keynotes. And you know, the the things just grown only because I decided to follow what makes me most excited and not what's logical or not what's ego-based.
2: Yeah.
1: You're listening to the Missy Muse Unplugged Podcast. We'll be right back after the break.
0: Now available on Amazon. Management consultant and author Christy Lindor shares career secrets based on 15 years of experience working at top firms in a new book called The Meesey Muse. A hundred plus selected practices, unwritten rules and habits of great consultants. The MeC Muse provides insights, stories and strategies on the unwritten rules of the consulting profession. Christy conducted research and connected with 50 plus industry titans across 27 professional service organisations on what makes a great consultant. For book reviews, tour dates and more info, go to www.mecmuse.us. I'm going to fast forward,
2: John, and I want to talk a little bit about your latest book, Foresight. What compelled Mm. you to write it and
0: what would you say it's for? So the thing that happened was about 18 months ago for the very first time, the audience started asking me a question after my keynotes that then became pretty much every audience started asking me this question. And the question is, how do we prepare our children for the future? and that question really i mean everybody's challenged with that because we sit in a transition phase between two different types of society where the very essence of value is changing and so education is based on a scarcity of information set up and we now have an abundance of information and so learning what has to change to learning how and so this book really became this process of trying to figure out what are the characteristics we need to have as human beings moving into this quantum world that we're moving into? And so we've got to stop focusing on so much what we have to study, and we have to start realizing the behavior we have, which is really going to be most important. And by behavior, I mean in a multifaceted, multidimensional world that we're moving into, we need to realize that adaptability, flexibility, and optimism are pretty much superpowers. And as far as us maneuvering through this future that we're moving towards, the less linear our thinking is, the less our actions are based on our memories, the better we will be in the future. And so for the 120 years since the Industrial Revolution really kicked in, we have all been educated to fit into an industrial revolution, which is very much about linear thinking about process driven frameworks. And today we move into a world where linear thinking will actually get you to lose your job and your business because you have to be multifaceted. You have to be adaptable. And so the more research I did into it, the more I realized that there's two very key characteristics that are required in order for us to become naturally adaptive and they are wisdom and curiosity. And wisdom is best described by Alan Watts. He says the knowledgeable man has to learn something new every day, but the wise man has to unlearn something new every day. And Tony Robbins says you move from unconscious memories to conscious memories, where you stop blaming your past and you start thanking your past. Dr. Joe Dispenza calls it having memories with no triggers. That's wisdom. And so really it goes through a process of healing our past. So our actions are not based on resentments, are not based on anger. Are not based on blame and this is both in an organizational structure as well as a human structure and so when we're able to develop wisdom what we do is we let go of our pasts we don't establish our identities based on it and many people in the world do at the moment and what that does it stops you from evolving because you are caught up in the past and we can have all sorts of reasons you know there's I had a bad childhood because my mom was an alcoholic. My father used to hit us because I was black, because I was white, because I was a female, because I was a male, because I mean, there's a, I was transgender. I mean, you can keep going. There's a list of a million different things that people can feel justified in being angry for. So wisdom is the first one. And the second one is curiosity. You know, when you are being led by curiosity, you are constantly energized. Nobody has to force you to go and research something. Nobody has to get you to go and think in a certain way. And when you combine this curiosity and wisdom, what you start to realize is that there's never any competition for what you do. Because your curiosity and your past and healing your past give you such a unique signature to who you are that the way you bring that message to this world whatever it may be could be gardening could be swimming could be speaking could be whatever in that space you realize that collaboration makes you much more powerful when you are a commoditized learner and a human being from the linear education world competition becomes vitally important for you to win because everything's the same but right. when you follow your curiosity and become wise you know you're so unique that you get interviewed from people sitting in Boston while you're living in Cape Town. <laughs> Look what's happening right now. So that's what it is. Yeah, that's so what the book's about.
2: I love it. And you know what's interesting about what you just shared? I it reminds me of an article I, I read. It was um it was a study done. I think it was by the World Economic Forum, and they had a mm. they they had a statistic that has stuck with me. I read this article maybe over a year ago, but it said that. of children in primary school, so we're talking kids, you know, that are in, you know, between like seven to 10 years old-ish, 65% of them are going to hold jobs or have livelihoods that do not exist today at all, period. And, and, you know, I think anyone hearing that, depending on your worldview, that can either be extremely exciting and encouraging, or that can be Really, really scary,
0: right? Um, well, most, most people, that's the problem. Because most people are trying to fit their memories into tomorrow. And that's the problem. There's your past is irrelevant when we're moving into the future. And I made a video about how I think CVs are outdated. Because right. CVs tell yes. me where you come from. Don't tell me where you're going. I want to know where you're going. Where you've been is kind of like whatever, like what's your dream to wanna create and let's join forces to create that. So if you are scared of it, it's because you are stuck in hindsight. You are stuck in the past and you're trying to replicate the past into tomorrow and you're fear driven and anxious and you're reactive and your reptilian brain is functioning as your main decision making process. And so this is an internal process of upgrading your software as a human being in order to prepare for the future.
2: So if listeners are listening to this and they're like, holy crap, (laughs) what what would you say based on your research, what's the one key thing they could do to, to, you know, I know you call it future proof. What's the one thing they could do to future proof either their career or their business today outside of building on the skills you mentioned?
0: Accretion. Uh, the, the, The word accretion comes from the solar system where you have a lot of space dust floating around. And the space dice collides with each other and collides with each other, collides with each other. And after a million years of collisions, a star is born. It is the practice of daily routines, of exposing yourself to something new that makes you feel uncomfortable. In this process, you change your language, you change your focus point, you change the questions you ask, and you change the way you actually show up. Because rituals become habits, habits become behaviors, behaviors become personality, and personality becomes your mind. So the thing you can start doing, the one silver bullet, is expose yourself to new ways of thinking, new types of education, new types of behaving on a daily basis. Because that's the way you change behavior. So next time you're sitting with your family around a dinner table, or you're sitting with your team, watch something about the future and Mm -hmm. discuss it. Spend an hour. Once a week, twice a week, just doing that. And slowly but surely, your focus point changes. Every time I get off stage, the audience is bewildered, inspired, and scared. All of them together, which is important because that's what gets action to happen. And I tell the audience, I said, everything you've seen in my keynote today, I found on Google. You have exposure to all of this. You've just chosen not to engage with it. And so really, the one thing you can do is start now because the most dangerous thing you can do in the age of exponential disruption is what you did yesterday. And the thing you can do is start now and start exposing yourself to what's going on out there. Because there's no excuse you shouldn't know about any of these new technologies that are coming if you just prioritize it and understand that how important it is.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. You, you talk about coming off stage and I know you travel all over the world, You know, talking about digital disruption and how people can own their future. What's actually a common question or a common kind of feedback that you get from either your fans or your clients that surprise you?
0: Well, I think the thing is, is my whole keynote is based on developing an optimistic viewpoint, taking responsibility for your focus points, and then categorizing and contextualizing the internet of the future, which is based on an internet that will react to us, not us engaging with it, which becomes a much more intelligent source of information that will preempt our needs before we even know what we need. And so we're shifting from chapter one to chapter two of the internet. Chapter one has been about data, communication, and social. The future will be a commerce-based internet. So as I do that, right, that's a 60-minute keynote. And then I get people putting their hands up, talking about the problems the internet's bringing, talking about privacy issues, talking about control and Big Brother. And I get all of that because I think we live in a world of duality. And I think there will always be an opportunity for you to be robbed, fridged and taken advantage of. And that's from the caveman days. So it's nothing new. The truth is, is that people are anxious before they're optimistic. And when they're asking me that question, I almost have to react and say, did you not watch the last 60 minutes of me telling you that you have a choice of what you want to focus on? Will there be bad people in the world? Yes. Is it your choice to choose to focus on them? Or could you choose to focus on an eight-year-old girl's life in Mumbai that's going to be uplifted with access to information, and she's going to educate herself, change her family structure forever, bring them out of poverty, and now create a brand new middle class in India? Why can't you focus on that? And so our brains are wired in a way to look for danger because we're stuck in reptilian mindsets. And so the most fascinating thing is after people are inspired and I often, not often, but I, I can get standing ovations and people are so excited, but they still revert back to being scared straight after my talk. And that's what surprises me. It's like we are so deeply wired, not we, most people are so deeply wired to be looking for danger that even after a keynote they're still looking for danger And I just explain to them that it's their choice it's their focus and what they energize and what they focus on is what they create but that uh, doesn't land as quickly as I'd like it to
2: yeah it's it's really interesting uh, you know when you you talk about kind of that that duality and I look at what's I don't know if you've maybe been following what's happening in the US. I have. oh my goodness there's, there's so much to unpack there but I think the one thing that I think for me scares me with uh, the way our culture is headed we call it here cancel culture at this point where anything that's put online or put on Twitter before people really understand the context or understand yeah. what's really happening there's this immediate kind of visceral reaction to let's yeah. say a theory or someone heard a quote or someone saw a clip of a video and then there's a yeah. lot of, you know, there's a lot of these what you call deep fakes, right? So there's videos being doctored and, and it's, it's kind Absolutely. of taking on a world of its own in so many different ways. It's it's a little disconcerting.
0: Um, All right, listen, I think it's incredibly scary, but I do think that what's going on around the world is the fact that things are changing so quickly that there are so many new inputs and so many new things to learn that people are through a state of absolute fear wanting to go back to how things used to be Mm -hmm. and you can see that all around the world and so it's based on a fear process that these people are wanting to hold on to power for as long as possible and really what it is it's the last sort of burst of energy that they have because I'm an optimist. And I truly believe that the last part of a pregnancy is the most difficult while the baby's coming out. And I think that right now what we're seeing is the beast of immature masculinity, of fear that's showing up in our politics around the world as it takes its last gasp of air and then will be eradicated. I am fully confident that it will be because I do believe that good always wins over evil. And uh, right now, we're just seeing a very, very ugly side of immature masculinity showing up in politics, which is really truly a reflection of what's going on within us as mass consciousness and mass humanity. So we have to heal these things within ourselves so this reflection point changes in front of us. But it is scary. We are in a transition phase. It's something we've never experienced before. This future is not predictable. It's not familiar. It's not reasonable. And so it really comes down to each one of us Adopting a new focus point where we can rather uplift than rather get caught up in the matrix. All
2: right, and I I love how you said that. Thank you for bringing that optimistic lens because you know in the U.S. we're so inundated with it every day. I think we don't see the forest from the trees, and and I I think you're right. I think it's it is kind of gasping for the kind of that last breath, and hopefully we'll we'll be able to move on to well, a better wait, look, look at look at
0: what's happened with the meat right the me too movement shone a light on that disgusting behavior then i loved it that this epstein thing was even further into the me too movement because it was like almost like dirty old men looking after dirty old men becoming exposed right right and this is showing us this level of transparency the internet is bringing us which is just going to increase because once blockchain kicks in you're really going to have a level of transparency it's just showing up more Light onto the darkness of what's going on and has always been going on behind closed doors. And those closed doors are opening. And so yes, right now it's shocking, but this has been happening for hundreds of years. It's it's been quiet. And so now it's in our face and now we're seeing it. And Trump is the absolute epitome of a child in tantrum mode, which we all have within us. And so we have to heal ourselves. We have to we have to choose a different focus from our viewpoint, so that we can energize something else and not get caught up in the mess. Right,
2: right. There's I'm a gonna... great
0: saying from our uh, last last thing. There's a great thing from Dr. Joe Dispenza he says, "Your personality creates your personal reality." And okay. so, you know, your personality is based on what you ritualize, habitualize, and your behaviors. And so, <laughs> for me, I try and stay away from politics. I mean, I watch it, but it's up in the sort of context of. We're going through a economic downturn. We're going through, there's a problem here, a problem there. And so the more of this information you take into your psyche, the more of it you create and the more of it you expect. And as Peter Diamandis from Singularity University says, he says, everybody should stop watching Crisis News Network. You know it? CNN, Crisis News Network. Always a crisis, always a problem. Everybody's coming to kill us. It's, we're all out to kill us. And that's just rubbish. There's never been more middle class in the world. There's never been less poor people. There's never been more women being educated. There's never been less baby deaths happening. I mean, just so many good things happening, but we just want to keep focusing on the crap. And that's because we haven't done the work and that's why we're still stuck in reptilian mindsets. And that's why I wrote the book.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like that, we, we can talk about that all all day because it's just so so crazy right now. But um, I'm gonna pivot again, John. You posted mm-hmm. uh, a really interesting video, and, and Go-Getters, we'll put the link out in the show notes as well, talking about building capital. And you mm-hmm. talked about, I think you posted it on YouTube, and it talked not only about social capital, but you also talked about time capital a bit. So yes. one question I had for you, just kind of along that line of thinking, with the social capital piece, what would you say is one thing that introverts can do to authentically build their social capital? And would also love for you to maybe give some, maybe suggestions on how you're able to build the time capital you have, like how you're able to put systems in place where you can, you know, your days are not jam packed and you're still living a very impactful life.
0: Mm. Oh, great question. I'm so impressed with your question. Thanks so much. Firstly. You know, that question's amazing because how does an introvert create social capital? I have never thought of that because I'm not an introvert, which is so weird. As, as you're asking me that, I'm like, I've never thought of that because I've just never been an introvert. So for me, social capital has always been quite easy and social media has just sort of exasperated my social capital. So as an introvert, I mean, let me come back to that question because I think the second part of your question is developing a life with time capital in it. And so the four capitals that I spoke about was obviously money capital, which is something the whole world is just mad about. But people can be sick and have no time in their lives and never know their family. But because they've got money, people call them successful, which boggles my mind i'm like how can you call that person successful? They're dying oh no he's got a ferrari like, how is that successful that is the least successful thing about him but anyway right, that's a whole other story so time capital social capital money capital and health capital are the things i focused on but as far as when it comes down to time capital and i think i learned this a little while back and what i realized is that our parents uh, related hard work to success and we have been indoctrinated into the fact that the harder we work, the more successful we should be, or the fact that we are so busy is really a sign of success. And um, as Gary Vee has made it so popular, the hustle, right? And so even in this day and age, there's still this concept of hustle, but we are starting to see a turn in social media where people are anti-hustle. And so the trick with time capital is one, you need to unhinge your thinking that money equals time. And that's not true. The second thing you need to really realize is that when you follow your highest excitement and curiosity, when you become a specialist and an expert in a topic that is so unique to you that people will be waiting to hear from you, you can manage the power dynamics of when you engage with the world rather than when the world engages with you. The power comes in in you becoming the best version of yourself so you can manage the time capital. If you've got a degree, just like another million people do, to get a job that another four million people are applying you don't have time capital because you're allowing the system to dictate to you when you should be working you're able to have time capital when you switch and flip it around and you create a power dynamic where you become the giver into the system rather than waiting for the system to give to you. And so as an introvert, when you become so clearly acutely focused on who you are and what you're here for, as Mark Twain said best in his one of his quotes, he said, the two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you find out why. And when you find out why and you become a specialist in that field, as introverts, people will be waiting to see you, whether it'll be one-on-one or people waiting to interview you. So you'll build your social capital, but only and only when you have developed that sense of who you are and follow your highest blitz for a long enough period for you to be able to become such a keen specialist in that very personal signature that's yours.
1: You're listening to the Misey Muse Unplugged Podcast. We'll be right back after the break.
2: What if you can finally launch your own consulting business that gives you the confidence to go after any targeted client and build a profitable business? regardless of your educational background or knowledge? What if you can finally learn how to package your expertise you spent years building into a profitable offering and then wake up every day making a difference with clients that truly value what you can bring to the table as a credible business consultant? Here's the secret, you can. Introducing the Purpose Driven Consultant School. It's an online training and mentoring program designed to help ambitious women and diverse professionals become world-class consultants doing work they love with people they like. Courses are taught by me, Christy Lindor. I come with over 18 plus years of experience working for some of the world's most prestigious management consulting firms. Check us out. We're now enrolling. We have a couple courses coming up on really how to start your business. We kick off our program with a six-week boot camp called Consulting Like a Boss. You can learn more at www.PurposeDrivenConsultant.com. The podcast season that we're doing is called, the theme is Science of Success. And mm. one of the questions I've, I'm curious to get your perspective on. Do you believe, John, in the concept of faking it till you make it? So that's a common thing we hear here, in at least in the US. Do you believe in that concept? Why or why
0: not? Well, you know, I think the thing is, is the, in certain contexts, faking it till you make it work um, because it's a false notion of being confident. And then slowly and surely, hopefully, that takes up a sort of some sort of traction. But I think that the concept of faking it till you're making it in a world that prioritizes authenticity and sincerity over everything else, I think it's a dangerous place to play. I think when you are playing in the adults' game and that you are here to add value to the world and that you're wanting to do it sincerely and you're wanting to add greatness into the fabric of humanity that statement doesn't work. So you got to check yourself and understand what are your motivating factors that you think you need to fake it till you make it. And if your motivating factors are out or external factors to tell you how good you are, then you'll need to fake it. But if you are following what... I'm sorry, I keep repeating myself, but if you're following what you're curious about and what excites you, you never need to fake anything because you're truly, sincerely curious about a topic and you want to share it. And that could be anything. So I don't think that faking it in a big context, if you want to play big and if you want to have a massive impact on humanity, I don't think it's a good way to go about doing it because I can't stand up in front of an audience and fake it. The audience are going to smell me a mile away. They'll be like, there's no authenticity here. He's copied slides from X, Y, and Z. He's just taking concepts of other people and put them onto, that's not going to get me anywhere. But if I can go on stage and share a heartfelt story with terrible slides and I can stutter everywhere and make mistakes, that audience will love me. And the best example I can give you is Elon Musk, the world's worst speaker, but authentic. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's the worst worst president I've ever seen. What a man. (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's so funny um you know i i think about that concept when we you know when we look online right it seems like social proof has almost become synonymous with people's value or worth and it, it seems more and more there's a lot of people that they may buy followers or they even you can even buy likes these days i hear or buy comments and and kind of build up this like online persona that's not real I always wondered what happens when, if someone is exposed or you get kicked off of a social media network or that sort of thing, like, and there's a lot of that. And and usually people kind of say, well, you know, you got to fake it till you make it, right? But I'm just always curious about how much well, you can uh, afford uh, like that.
0: N- well, the thing is we've been faking it till we are making it when we used to go to the malls when we were younger and wear our cousin's shoes because we couldn't afford those shoes so we could look cooler and right. borrow our brother's diesel t-shirt or whatever the brand was that we liked in order to look cooler so we've been faking it to be making it to build social capital for a very long time people rent ferraris to drive around so they can look the part ultimately the decision making process is coming from the wrong place because you're making decisions based on an ego basis not on a curiosity basis hmm. and so again it comes down are you making a logical decision an ego decision or a curiosity decision and you've got to check yourself that you are making decisions based on what makes you most excited because that's what's going to bring your unique factor into the world. That's what's going to expose your purpose. And that purpose you'll then be able to bring to the world. So, yes, people can buy likes and people can... They can do whatever they want to do they can buy fake tans and they can buy fake boobs and they can can do whatever you want to do but the truth is ultimately you will be in a state of uncomfortability and you yourself will know you're a scam and that will only last a short period of time and so really i'm for my 44th birthday a couple months ago i made a social media post and i said i've come to learn at the age of 44 that life is not a destination without sounding cliche but really, life is about staying in a state of flow for as long as possible. Mm. And you are able to stay in a state of flow for as long as possible. All that stuff is rubbish. It just doesn't matter. And in the state of flow, you age differently because your perspective of time changes. And in the state of flow, when you're doing something for five hours and it only feels like three minutes, you've only aged three minutes. So if you want to be in an anti-aging program, follow your flow. It's anything you need to do.
2: Well said. Well said. I love it. What, what's next for you, John, you know, with, with everything you're doing?
0: I want to be the world's best at what I do in order to be able to get my message to as many people as possible and to be the best version of myself. And let me start saying that again. I want to be the best version of myself to be able to get my message to as many people as possible and to be regarded as one of the world's best at what I do because I really love what I do. I'm crafting my, my gift constantly. I am doing the internal work. I am writing my next book on the mature masculine to really dive deep into my own power and how I can access this and how how I can help other men, or should I say boys trying to be men, really go through the process, you know? And so for me, next step is to become a better version of myself on a continuous process and in that to become more global in my impact and for me to affect more people. So however that pans out, I'm happy with. But as long as I am in a state of flow, following my highest excitement, I am de-aging and getting younger, fitter, and smarter as I grow wiser. I think you're well on
2: your way with that. And so my, so my last question for you, Don, what is a fun fact about you that someone cannot Google?
0: <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> um, when I was, uh, when I was 21, I was a Chippendale dancer for about six months.
2: No way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not anything anybody knows, but I um, won Junior Master South Africa when I was a bodybuilder and my number one goal in life was to be a gorilla. And so when I, when that was the case in my teen years, I was really well built and uh, there was a Chippendale group that used to train at the same gym as me. And I became really good friends with them. They invited me to come watch a couple shows. I had never seen women act like that in my life. And you know, as a 19, 20 year old boy, all you have is hormones r- raging through your body. And screaming girls become an alluring thing. And so for six months, I was a Chippendale dancer. It was really a fantastic process, but uh, I had to get out because it was quite chaotic in that world. So yeah, you would, and I thank my lucky stars every day that there was no social media or no yeah. mobile phone in those days because none of those photos are any, there's no photos, uh, no proof.
2: I love it. That's hilarious. Well, thank you so, so much. I, you're so
0: multidimensional.
2: I mean, I can't get enough. I'm, and I wish you the best in your journey. And I, I can't wait to see you continue to exponentially grow and, and really kind of put your presence. I know you're going to be, to me, you're the next big like Tony Robbins and, and, and you know, you're, right. you're at that level. So I, I look forward and you've always got a fan in me, John.
0: Thank you. I'm grinning right now. I know you can't see it, but thank you so much because I want to be on stage with Simon Sinek and Tony Robbins. That's kind of where I'm aiming. So thank you. I really appreciate that coming from somebody living in Boston. That means a lot to me.
2: Yeah. If people want to connect with you online, like what's some ways that they can can connect?
0: Well, I'm really lucky that there's only one John Sane on this earth because I've Try to find another one There really isn't one. So J-O-H-N is my name. And then Sane, S-A-N-E-I, uh, my website. I've got all my details on there. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, on Facebook. I'm constantly sharing stuff through blogs and blogs. And uh, yeah, please join me on the journey. The more, the merrier.
2: Awesome. Thank you, John. Again, thanks for joining us on the Missy News Unplugged.
0: My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: That concludes today's show. I want to thank my guests for being with us today. And thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in. There are hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. And I'm so glad that you've chosen the Misey Muse Unplug to connect with. So make sure you check out today's show notes. You can go to www.miseymuse.com for more information. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast. Share it with your friends and rate it. Until next time, here's to your journey to greatness.
1: Tune in for new episodes every Monday to kick off your week of greatness. Visit us online at mecmuse.com for more information. Don't forget to follow Meesey Muse on all socials to stay tuned in for upcoming episodes and news from Christy Lindor.